I'm recording this after I recorded the podcast. I forgot to mention, I'm your host, Luke Dick. Welcome to the Reddit Asks Us podcast. Hello, 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 my beautiful, beautiful friends from the internet. How are you guys doing today? I hope you're doing well. And you know what? If you're listening to this podcast and you're a casual listener of this show, I bet you're doing extremely, extremely, extremely well. Not because you're listening to this show, but because I have no idea why. You just are beautiful. That's why. You're just having a good day. You're having a happy day. You're, you're having a fun day, and it's going to be great. Um, I am so glad to be back with you guys this week. Um, I'm not sure if this episode might be a little bit shorter. I'm not too sure, but they're always in between 20 to 30 minutes, something a little bit quick to listen to here and there. You know, got some interesting anecdotes here, interesting anecdotes there. You know how it is. Um, yeah, but I'm really uh, glad to be back with you guys and glad to see you guys or hear, so you can hear my voice for another week. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, the audience. Yes. So the audience is, uh, is, is again, steadily growing every single week. I'm so, so happy that the audience has reached the place that it has. I never, I never even really thought about, thought about it being at the place that it is right now and to see the growth and to see that people are actually interested in listening to the show every single week makes me very, very excited and very happy and just very grateful. I'm so thankful that all of you guys have, you know, enough interest to want to tune into the show every week because, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's something that I really like to do, and I'm I'm really glad that uh, that everybody seems to enjoy it as well. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. So, this week's episode is again from the main Ask Reddit page. What is a scientific fact that absolutely blows your mind? And there are some interesting ones here, guys. There are some very very interesting ones. I'm I personally. Something about the pursuit of of science and the pursuit of an objective perspective on on what we can possibly know fascinates me because for the longest time in human history, we've been in the dark. We haven't had the tools or the resources or the instruments to be able to pursue the types of knowledge that we actually have the ability to pursue today. And something about that is very special. You know, science is something that should be appreciated and something that we should you know, look to grow and pursue and keep uh, innovating in the future because it's so interesting. And like, I was just thinking about this the other day, for example, like, you know, you know, during the day when the moon, <clears throat> when you can like see the moon uh, and it's like, it's the, it's a bright blue sky and there you can see the moon and it's, you know, and it's and all of its glory up in the sky during the day. I was thinking to myself, I'm like the earliest people, you know, what did they think that was? You know, like, what did they, what did they think this giant sort of rock look? Because we, we grow up here. The, the, the problem is, is that, I mean, like, when, when you're conditioned to think that that's the moon, you know what I mean? Because you know that's the moon. You're taught in elementary school that that's the moon. But for the longest time in human history, we didn't know what that was. We didn't have telescopes. You know, we didn't have the ability to actually survey the solar system. So it was kind of just there. And I was curious. I'm just wondering... You know, there were ancient civilizations who thought it was an actual god in the sky watching over us. And it's, yeah, like, because we don't really, it's tough to say, and especially from that far away, like, how could you really know what that object was? And I was just thinking, yeah, like, what did earliest civilizations think that that object was? Did they think there were people on it? 
You know, did they, did they think it was, it was alive? You know, who knows, who knows? But, um, cause of course a lot of those things are untraceable, but it made me give a sense of appreciation for the fact that we do have the ability to know what that sort of stu- type of stuff is. So our first comment comes from a non who mouse anonymous, <laughs> non who mouse. I like it. Um, There are actually blood vessels obstructing the light from reaching certain areas in your eye, effectively creating a shadow. Your brain filters this out and essentially fills in the gaps so you don't actually see this spiderweb-like network of black lines. However, you can visualize them by shining a a light directly at a diagonal into your eye and gently wiggling it about. This means that your brain doesn't have enough time to filter it out and you actually see the spiderweb-like network of blood vessels. So here are some technical instructions to clarify the actions involved. I find it easier to see this effect in a dark environment. So the contrast of the black shadow against the light is higher. You want to be staring straight ahead and shining the light into your pupil at a 45 degree angle from the side directed at your nose at about 10 to 20 centimeters away from them. Phone light will do great if you have uh, if you have it on the dimmest setting possible. Then wiggle the light in a gentle one centimeter movement side to side keep this up for about a second and at least you should see them hope this clears everything up and i'm sure if you guys would like to look that up on the internet it's probably not difficult to find but that's interesting um there's a sort of and and i feel like i've seen this before like you know when you close your eyes and like uh like when you're from when you're coming in from like a really bright place and you start and you close your eyes and you kind of see that sort of spiderweb type network reminds me of uh the opening credits to spider-man you know where all the webs are everywhere that's kind of what i see it's like those fractal sort of things um and very interesting so our next uh comment comes from stitch mita 2 there are some ice age animals that are so perfectly preserved in permafrost that scientists have been able to find them still with all of their soft tissue, hair, and organs. They even found a couple mammoths that still had liquid blood in them. And I remember one scientist even tasting the mammoth meat. Oh my god, that's kind of disgusting, gross. There was also a mummy found in China that was so well-preserved that she still had all her skin, hair, organs. I actually remember reading about this. Uh, Her body was even flexible that you could bend her limbs as if she was alive. I, I do remember this. Um, they even found her last meal still in her stomach and could perform an autopsy on her to tell you why she died. She died over 2000 years before she was found. That's very interesting. I remember reading a story one time about, uh, their ivory. Ivory is, is a very sought after resource or material. It's comes from elephants tusks and elephants often die, um, because of this, uh, harvesting of their of their ivory, which is of course poaching, and the the elephants are killed just because of this uh, this ivory that they that they have. But I remember there was an ivory influx, I think, in the early 1900s, because they somewhere I can't remember was I think it was in the states somewhere they uncovered a a giant uh, I guess sort of sort of not I wouldn't say swamp area, but a small hole in the ground area and where it connected sort of to to a, a water basin I guess and the it would every year it would wash up a bunch of of mammoth uh, bones and stuff and there was a huge influx on the market of ivory and a lot of ivory on old piano keys actually comes from them 
harvesting the bones of already dead mammoth tusks because those mammoth tusks, um, of course, they had died out, you know, near the end of the last ice age. So they used that that ivory from those mammoths who were already dead. Interesting little little fact there. So we have another one here from a potato pancake. T-Rex lived 66 million-ish years ago. Stegosaurus lived 155-ish million years ago. The gap between the T-Rex and the Stegosaurus is 16 million-ish greater than the T-Rex and the present day. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, because I feel like when we think about dinosaurs, we always tend to tend to sort of lump them. I gotta warn you guys, a lot of these are dinosaur facts. <laughs> I like dinosaurs. I, I don't know, I'm, but but that doesn't. Uh, I didn't particularly choose them because they're dinosaur facts. There just tend to be a lot of facts about dinosaurs on this uh, thread. But uh, it's it's interesting because a lot of times we we have such a a, a narrow concept of time. When we hear about dinosaurs and when we learn about dinosaurs, we tend to lump them all in one big giant group. But one thing that we don't always realize is that dinosaurs were alive for hundreds of millions of years. So many hundreds of millions of years that there's actually different groupings of hundreds of millions of years of ages of when dinosaurs existed. Like the, whatever it is, the Paleolithic era and all sorts of different eras like that. I'm, I don't I can't think of any other of, off the top of my head. Uh, like the Cretaceous period, I think is another one. Um, I don't know. I don't know them in order, but, but anyways, yeah, like it's so funny to think that there was so much life here. There was literally an abundance of life here. So much. There were multiple extinction events that kept producing new dinosaurs. It took like, I think we've had like three or something major, major extinction events on this planet. And, uh, the the it took all three of those major extinction events and a bunch of smaller smaller extinction events to create an actual like human living consciousness that I mean as far as we know that actually has the ability to be sort of like self aware and uh, have the level of consciousness that we possess. So this next one comes from Mad Madgoon official. All matter literally gives off light. But we can only see a sliver of that spectrum, although we do have tools to help us see the other spectrums. Our bodies give off infrared and are basically glowing in that portion of the spectrum, similar to how iron glows to our normal vision when it's heated. Interesting. Something that sees a different spectrum than us might not see how hot iron as uh, gets it when it's glowing at the same temperature that we see iron glow at. That is very interesting. Then we have another... Uh, reply that says predator has entered the chat <laughs> that's that's another super fascinating thing too i wonder if there's like if you could think of an alien species that could have evolved to be you know the sort of have the same sort of level of consciousness that we do and yet they they possess maybe a different way of seeing things a different they they like possess a different light like spe light spectrum or something like that but interesting next one comes from boostman uh, caterpillars basically dissolve into liquid in the cocoon. The only thing left are the so-called imaginal, imi imaginal, imaginal discs, uh, groups of cells that contain all the information and the mechanism to turn that soup into the various body parts of a butterfly. The same applies for other insects. That is fucked up, guys. That is absolutely messed up. A caterpillar 
when it's ready, will literally just boil away and turn into just like, oh, damn. That actually makes so much sense because I think as a kid, I'm pretty sure if you've ever like squashed a cocoon or something like that, like a liquid comes out like isn't it like yellow or something oh it grosses me out thinking about it but I remember you know at daycare and kids on the playground whenever they'd find like a caterpillar or something like that or a, a cocoon or something they might step on it and that sort of liquid would come out um, but that's interesting it literally like dissolves into a liquid and then all the pieces get back together it reminds me of you know potentially our and this is related to science as well. It potentially re like reminds me of uh, the, if we had the ability to to teleport or transport, if we could disassemble our uh, like our material structure into into its base sort of data particles and then be able to reassemble that somewhere else. Maybe sort of like I know it's like a that's a biological process, but who knows? Maybe we can have a scientific process. So this next one comes from Emma Ray 21. Slime molds don't have brains or nervous systems, but somehow retain information and use it to make decisions. Wow. Even more crazy is that they can fuse with another individual and share the information. Don't you just wish, man, that makes me jealous of the ability that you know of of the abilities of other animals like could you imagine just like just like touching somebody and you can just feel what they're feeling and share information with them that would be so much easier like i feel like so much of disagreements and arguments happen because of miscommunication and if you could just or even just being able to to truly understand how somebody feels you could like touch them and just share that information that to me seems like it would be solving it would be solving all my problems of communication with other people because that's where I'm misinterpreting things or things don't get and you like you can never really you know you have your own emotions right you have your own thoughts and inner feelings and sometimes I feel like it can be difficult to truly empathize with somebody because we don't we can't really like there's you know the phrase put yourself in the in their shoes but that's really the the best you can do like that's you, you can't really feel how somebody else is actually feeling and the degree and severity to which they experience those feelings who knows man like anger for example like anger to me might be different than the way somebody else experiences or manifests anger and i think that we can see that presented in behavior right because some people have you know certain emotions and then they then they express a certain behavior that's rooted or based from those emotions. Um, I'm not even speaking scientifically. I'm just speaking from what I've I've observed from people, and some people, you know, express that those emotions in different ways, and I think that might tell us maybe something about the way we experience the emotions. And it, the only way we could truly know for sure, like how anger feels to me or how anger feels to you, or sadness, or depression i think depression is a huge one because one of, i think one of the the biggest things and this is a this is a, an issue with with the, with a younger generation like my my gen, generation and i think it's going to be an even worse problem for generations to come but i think a huge problem with with generations right now is we have a lot of anxiety and depression and I think that's very difficult for people of older generations to be able to sympathize with and understand because our lives growing up have just been so, so different. And 
you know, like, for example, like, I think we're taught, like, especially, like, one of the things about our generation is we're taught from such a young age to be constantly comparing ourselves, everything, everything, because we're brought up with social media, right? You're constantly seeing what other people are doing, you know, how their lives are, and we have this distorted view of how our lives should be based on how lives of other people are and their experiences, and you know, like, I think that's where a lot of, like, our generation has a lot of eating disorders, a lot of drug addiction, uh, especially, like, if you look at the numbers over COVID, like, the numbers o- over COVID of, of um, young people suffering because of drug addiction, I th- at least in Canada, has, I'm pretty sure, like, doubled over drug addiction and de- death overdoses, and it's in the 18 to 24 range, right? That's, that's, that's Gen Z, and you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, and there's a lot of kids in high school, and I think a lot of it has to do with how we were brought up, and, and I think that we truly experience these emotions. You know, I think there, I don't think that I know a single person who hasn't experienced some form of anxiety or depression, um, maybe a couple people, but I think for, on, on mass, probably a lot of people from our generation, and I think it's so hard to convey what that actually feels like because it's it's a feeling, right? Depression is a feeling just like anger, right? It actually has an emotional and physiological effect on your body. And I think that it's for somebody who's maybe never experienced depression before or anxiety, it would be so helpful to be able to show a person with, with like a true like transfer of emotions what that actually feels like physiologically, mentally, and physically, you know, because I think that would, that would help people sympathize, right? If you could actually feel how some, like, like literally feel how somebody is feeling, I think it would probably give a lot of people a much deeper insight, uh, into, into the emotions of others and, and, you know, how those emotions can affect people. So, basically, we should turn them into, turn into slime molds, everybody. We should pursue, the genetic, uh, whatever it is, genetic CRISPR editing, get some slime mold uh, uh, m- uh, qualities into us. <laughs> so this one is comes from Nolcene. Uh, dinosaurs lived on the other side of the galaxy from where we are now. So for those of whom who might not be familiar with what that means, our galaxy, like just like how the planets rotate around the sun our galaxy rotates around, like it actually rotates, and it rotates, I'm pretty sure, around the supermassive black hole that's at the center of our galaxy as far as we know now. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so I, I don't know which era this person's talking about in terms of which dinosaurs they're talking about, but that would mean that, let's say 65 million years, because I'm not, I'm not positive, but I'm sure we could look this up. But say 65 million years ago, earth in in our solar system in the place that it is now was was you know on a on a 100 and what 180 degree or yeah 180 degree rotation from where it was back then so it was on the like because since the milky way galaxy rotates it would have been on the other side of the milky way and now we've completely rotated Uh, i mean we're still on the same side of the milky way just we've rotated from our place and orientation in space to the other side of where we used to be which is very interesting Uh, it's uh time is just such a wild concept it's it's almost impossible to really grab your wrap your head around because humans live such short lives right so we only have really the capacity to think of time in terms of our perception of time 
you know, and we can calculate, we can do all these things, but it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem fully real to us. Like it doesn't seem, it seems so abstract that we can't really grasp, you know, how long something is, you know, when we talk about light years to get to some place and, and, and distances, uh, vast distances in the galaxy and time that's stretched out for a long time. And it's, it's just really hard to think of how long ago that actually was. It'd be interesting to just have like a giant time lapse and, you know, Neil deGrasse's show where he's like kind of in that little pod or whatever. It's like kind of sit there and time lapse through the galaxy in the time of history. Alrighty, so this next one comes from user Mlinch. I recently read about the split brain experiments. There's a procedure for sever for severe epilepsy that involves cutting the nerves between the two brain hemispheres, also known as the corpus callosum, resulting in the two hemispheres being unable to communicate with one another. The experiment shows that both halves can answer questions independently and form memories independently. They can have separate opinions and preferences basically suggesting that there might be two minds within the brain and that blows my one mind <laughs> and so then we have a reply here from zeroe i remember seeing videos about this in high school uh, not only what you have said but also since each hemisphere has different tasks and you cut their connection a lot of things become different for example if you cover your eyes and get if you cover if they cover your eyes and give you an object, object you're familiar with, you are not able to identify it by only touch because there is no communication by two hemispheres. You have to see the object fully to identify it. Scary shit. I do remember this. I, I remember we talked about this in my first year psychology class that they would even cover up one one eye and they would give a person an object and they like in their hand, like a Rubik's cube or something, and they could they could recognize it and and understand what the object was, but they couldn't put a name to it. Only until they lifted the 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 veil off the other off the other eye, to the, could they fully identify what the object was. Which is just so so interesting. And it just reminds me of, uh, you know, there was there was another story we read about. I can't remember the name of the guy, but he had a he like he was like a rail worker or something like that, or like a construction worker, and he got a he got a giant metal bar right through his skull and he lived but after that he suffered severe mood issues and and this was really before people knew anything about psychology and what it, what that those types of behaviors would mean and and that gave him the proper resources to be able to deal with it i think he i think he may have ended up committing suicide but um it was interesting because he lived but he they but they uh noticed and and people around him saw that he had a, a lot of significant changes in his behavior and that's I just find that just the slightest little things to the brain can can do and I've heard this with brain tumor patients um you know if, if they if it gets into late stages and the tumor grows enough uh they can start changing their behavior which is just so interesting the brain is such a fragile like if it has to it has to be in this like perfect sort of state in order to in order to truly function properly and if it's and if it's out of out of that sink or anything is damaged or something has happened to it, it just functions differently depending on what has happened, which is just super, super interesting. So this next one comes from Cafeum. There are eight times as many atoms in a teaspoon of water as there are teaspoons full of water in the Atlantic Ocean. That just blows my mind. That blows my mind. 
like uh, some it's just something about yeah like the the size of everything it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense because atoms like they make up everything so there it's crazy to think there are more atoms in a little teens teaspoon of water than there are teaspoons of water in the entire atlantic ocean it's just very very interesting this is something interesting that i don't i don't think i i don't think i knew before if two pieces of the same type of metal touch in space, they will bond and become permanently stuck together. Space welding, also known as cold welding. I'm just trying to imagine that in my head. Like if you took two pieces of like aluminum foil or something and you just kind of put them together while you're in space and they would just fuse together. That just, it seems unreal to me. That seems like, like why? Why does that happen? It's so funny. We experience such, you know, normal quote-unquote normal things here on earth but as soon as you step just a bit out of the way things are completely different like how far is space space is only like what 20 20 to 20 to 80 kilometers up like space is 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 closer than i mean this might i'm trying to think of a good reference here because 80 kilometers is not a lot but for all my american listeners i guess you might not be familiar with kilometers but, and I don't want to use this, this reference. Let me see if I can, well, this is an, this might seem obvious, but like Los Angeles and New York are farther away than where you are right now from space. Like space is closer than you are if you live in New York than it is to Los Angeles, which is just crazy. That's like thousands of kilometers. Uh, and space is literally just like 80, I think it's like 80 kilometers, maybe a hundred and 100 kilometers up i think 20 kilometers is where we started like the ozones and stuff and i'll get to the different layers of the of the atmosphere and i think it's like 100 kilometers up is like is uh which is i think 100 kilometers up is basically 160 miles there for my for my american listeners that's all the only reason i know this is the conversion of 1.6 or whatever one kilometer is 1.6 this one is also interesting voyager one has been traveling 30,000 miles per hour there you go miles per hour uh, has been traveling 30,000 miles per hour for 43 years. 43 years. And it's only 20 light hours away. Man. And then the closest star, we have a reply here from from, from Sluggish Prey. Sorry, that one was ruined on the day. We have another one, uh, another uh, reply here from Sluggish Prey. And the closest star would be Proxima Centauri is about 4.3 light years away that would mean that Voyager 1 would take 80,000 years to get to Proxima Centauri, which is just, man, that is just crazy, man. And Voyager 1, I remember, I can't remember how long ago. I think it was not too, too long ago. It just passed by Saturn or something. I think like 10 or 20 years ago or something. It just passed by Saturn, um, and they took a bunch of pictures. But it's yeah, it's been traveling for 43 years. That is absolutely insane. I'm pretty sure Voyager 1 is the one with all the all the, you know, human, uh, we put like, we put a bunch of human stuff in there, like a cassette tape or something like that. And just like directions to get to the, our solar system. Just so interesting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's good that we did that. Cause who knows if we're going to last over this next little while, because the world, who knows, man, who knows what the world's going to be like in 10 years. So we'll see. I'm optimistic though. Don't get me wrong. So this next one comes from a peaceful warrior. Without the development of genuinely sci-fi travel technology like wormholes or hyperspace, which may not even be possible, 99.99 plus percent of the universe will be forever locked from us. Because cosmic expansion, the various galactic clusters are moving away from our local cluster faster than we could catch up to them. That's very true. I don't know if anybody knows anything about 
about uh, uh, cosmic expansion, but basically when the universe is constantly expanding, and it's expanding at a rate faster than the speed of light, which means that as the universe is expanding, things in the universe, which means galaxies, you know, planets, stars, blah, 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 are all getting farther and farther apart. So it only means that we have a bigger and bigger challenge on our hands. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think we'd be able to do it? Because if there's any if there's any point in time in history that would give me faith that humans would be able to, you know, travel through space, whether it's, you know, warping space or bending space, it's right now, right? Like, I mean, I know we right now, I mean, we have like, quote unquote, primitive sorts of technologies that wouldn't allow us to be able to do those things now. But what do you guys think? Do you think in the future that we'll be able to you know, travel the universe, like sort of like Star Trek, that's like the goal of humanity is just to just, you know, explore the universe, you know, uh, settle on planets that aren't, you know, or meet alien species and all that sort of stuff. Um, we run the risk of, of, you know, doing some colonizing, which doesn't really seem like the best thing to do. But, you know, hopefully we you'd hope that if we get to the point where our technology is advanced enough to be able to do those sorts of things, we'd maybe be past the you know idea of of you know pillaging and war and all that sort of stuff but i don't know man i think i think that we do i honestly think we do if if it's and that's just my opinion but but i i I would be very curious to know what you guys think so you know um if you're watching on youtube comment in the comment section uh if you're listening on apple podcast maybe even send an email at red at asks us podcast at gmail.com and uh, tell me what you guys think. If not, you can keep it to yourself, but I'm still very interested in what you think. Alrighty, guys, and here we go for the last one of the day. So this one comes from Raw Life 55 Sharks are older than trees. Also, trees almost killed all land life on Earth as there used to be nothing that could decompose them. So dead trees covered the ground and killed all other vegetation. Only once fungus evolved did trees start decomposing. Very interesting. The period in which this occurred was known as the Carboniferous Period. Fungus had evolved long before this, around 600 million years before, but it had not evolved the ability to decompose trees due to them evolving during this period. These first trees were actually more closely related to ferns and reproduced via spores rather than seeds. Oh, that's very interesting. Also, these trees would not have killed all land life, sorry to disappoint, due to wildfires... Uh, clearing out the trees that said the lack of decomposing fungi which use up oxygen in the decomposition process and the extremely high number of photosynthesizing plants led to high very high oxygen levels during this period as high as 15 percent higher than modern levels very interesting this allows the insects of the time to grow to massive sizes insects have a fairly inefficient respiratory system so without high oxygen levels it is difficult for them to grow to large sizes now you might be asking well how large well dragonflies were the size of hawks spiders were the size of house cats and millipedes were as long as eight feet truly a fascinating point in our planet's history and that is facts my friends that is very very interesting i also was talking to my friends i didn't want to burst their bubble but uh, we were watching a commercial for jurassic park and i watched a youtube video about how uh, even if we tried to bring back dinosaurs or even if you as a person tried to go back and observe dinosaurs during that time you wouldn't be able to do it because you'd probably die 
immediately as soon or pretty soon as soon as you got to that whatever period was because the oxygen content in the air was much much higher than it was because every all those animals were so giant and um the ever the oxygen distribution within our atmosphere was quite different so you wouldn't be able to uh, technically survive in those same sorts of conditions because they weren't conducive to how a human being can survive and uh, those dinosaurs if you brought them to today they would most likely be unable to survive as well because they have adapted to living with a certain uh, levels of oxygen nitrogen and hydrogen or whatever in our atmosphere so there you go folks sorry to burst the Jurassic Park bubble but who knows? Maybe we'll evolve them. Maybe we'll get some genetic editing in there and make Jurassic Park ha happen in real life. Anyways, thank you all so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Reddit Asks Us podcast. I'm so, so happy that you guys have tuned in this week again. I love you all, my best, best, besties, best friends from the internet. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for growing the audience. I don't even know how it's growing, but you guys must be sharing it or something because the audience is growing and that's how it's happening. So I'm super happy, super, I'm super happy. I'm super happy, super thankful. And I love all of you guys. Thank you so much. And I will see you next week. Peace out.